Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Luke 19, 12-27 A nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent delegations after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered those servants whom he had given money to to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him and said, Lord, your mina has made ten more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful with very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you do not deposit, and you reap what you do not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I may have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take his mina from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even that which he has will be taken away. But as for those enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Hey, ACF, thank you for joining us today. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And from wherever you're at, however you're watching, thank you for jumping online and being with us right now. And before I get going on today's sermon, I just want to say this, that I am so excited to see where God is leading ACF Church. You just saw a video from Pastor Brian and Pastor Stuart, and I just want to say that we believe that God is on the move 
here at ACF Church, that uh, the church has not closed down, that ministry has not stopped, and that, in fact, over even just the last few weeks, we have seen people say yes to Jesus. We have seen people getting baptized. We have seen ministry happening. We have seen people coming and taking steps forward in their walk with Jesus. And so God is alive and he's at work, and we have a unique calling here at ACF Church that we believe God has called us into this home church movement. And so I am, I'm really excited to see what God is going to do. And I hope that you guys can get on board and, and be part of what God is doing through ACF Church. And I just want to say that the kingdom of God is on the move and nothing can stop that. And speaking of the kingdom of God being on the move, we are in a series called Campfire Stories, and we're talking about different parables that Jesus taught throughout Scripture. And today we're talking about a a pretty unique parable. It's a bit of a standalone in its uniqueness uh, for a couple of different reasons, and we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, But before I jump into today's parable, uh, talking about it, um, I want to set the scene. You just heard me read the story uh, around the campfire, but what you might not know is where and when this story is taking place. And so Jesus, he's on, his ro- on the road to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the capital city for Israel. It was their holy city. So this was a really big deal that this teacher, um, that this uh, self-proclaimed Messiah was on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he stops in this town called Jericho, and he has this interaction, a very famous interaction with a man. You might know the man's name. His name is Zacchaeus. Now, if there's one thing that you might know about Zacchaeus, it was this, right? Zacchaeus was a, say it with me, I don't care if you're in your living room, in your dining room, or in the bathroom, say it out loud, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Now, I have no idea why that's in scripture. I don't know the importance of it. For some reason, Luke felt it important to let everyone know that Zacchaeus was a short dude. And to be honest, I'm a little offended, but whatever. So, Jesus has this interaction with Zacchaeus, and and in this interaction that he has with him, life change happens in Zacchaeus' heart. Like, he is changed, just like everybody who has an encounter with Jesus. There is a change that happens. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you're either drawn from him, you're closer to him, or you walk away further away from him, like the rich young ruler. But everyone always has a decision to make when they encounter Jesus. You don't leave the same. And that's the same with what happens with Zacchaeus. And this crazy, amazing life change happens. And it happens in front of a whole bunch of people. There's this crowd of people that had surrounded Jesus as he's going through Jericho. And as this life change happens, the people get pretty excited. They, they start to assume some things about Jesus and his mission. They know that he's on the way to uh, Jerusalem, and they assume that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to, like, take over. They think that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to establish his kingdom, to establish himself as the king, and to start a war with Rome, to kick Rome out and make Israel a, a world power again. And that's what the people are thinking. And what's really interesting and kind of cool is that we actually get to hear the reason why Jesus tells this parable. Luke makes it very clear to the reason why he tells the parable. And this is what Luke says. In Luke chapter 19, it says that as they heard these things, 
that he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And so it says, as they heard these things, so as they hear these things, as Jesus has this interaction with Zacchaeus and his life is changed, they hear these things and they're starting to think, awesome. If, if God could change Zacchaeus' heart, he can do anything. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. It's about to go down, right? We're about to go to war with Rome and we're about to take over. And Jesus senses this and so he tells this parable so that they might understand that his kingdom is not coming immediately. Now, the interesting thing about this is this. Just a few chapters earlier, Jesus has this conversation with the Pharisees, and it's about the kingdom of God. But it's not that the kingdom is not coming immediately, it's how the kingdom is already here. And the interaction goes like this in Luke chapter 17. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So it's interesting, as Jesus is telling this parable to help people understand that the kingdom of God is not coming right away, yet the disciples that were just with Jesus a little bit earlier, and they heard him say that the kingdom of God is in your midst. So which one is it, Jesus? Is it, is it coming or is it in our midst? And the answer to that question is yes. The answer to that question, is it coming or is it in our midst, is yes. See, there's an important fact that we have to know about the kingdom of God. And that important fact is this. The kingdom of God is here and it is yet to come. The kingdom of God is here and it is yet to come. And this is really important for us. Before we get further on into this parable, before we get further on in this story, this is really important for us to understand. This will shape your theology. This will shape your hope that is within you. You see, when Jesus shows up on the scene, the moment he's born, the kingdom of God is here with him. See, when he says the kingdom of God is in your midst, he's, he's talking about himself. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he brings the kingdom of God with him. When he shows up on the scene, what does he do? He preaches, he teaches about the kingdom of God over and over again because it's what he came to establish. And yet, at the same time, the kingdom of God is not fully here yet. It's not completely here. We still see sin. We still see sorrow. We still see brokenness. We still see sickness. And it is very real in our lives. Yet, the kingdom of God is this kingdom of righteousness. It's a kingdom of peace and hope and joy. And so how can these two things exist at the same time if the kingdom of God is here and yet we still have sickness and brokenness and all these things, what does that mean? It means that it's here, but it's still yet to come. And, and Peter talks about this in his writings. He says, look, the hope that we have in our heart, see, this is how this changes you, and this is how this shapes you, is the hope that you have in your heart. The hope is not for salvation because you already have salvation. You don't have to hope for it. The hope is not for Jesus to raise from the dead because you already have Jesus raised from the dead. The hope is the kingdom that is still to come. And that hope should shape you every single day of your life. That the kingdom of God is here, but it is still yet to come. 
And so Jesus begins to tell this story to the people that are gathered around. And you see, uh, there's actually two things that Jesus is talking about in this parable. It's another reason this parable is uniquely different from most of the other ones, is that Jesus is actually talking about two separate things. And as I, as I did reading on this, as I studied this, all the commentating that I read and all the philosophy that I read on it and, the, and, and all that kind of stuff, um, everybody agreed on this one thing, that there's two points and that there's a main point and a sub point uh, to the story that Jesus tells. And so the main point is this. I want to dive into the main point right now, and we'll get to the sub point a little later. But the main point that Jesus talks about is this. It's really interesting. The main point of of the story of the parable we just heard is entrepreneurship. The main point is entrepreneurship. You see, in the story, Jesus tells about a master who has servants and he leaves and goes away. But as he leaves and goes away, he gives each one of the servants something. It's called a mina. And he gives each one of the servants a mina. But then he returns and he expects something from them. You see, this story gets compared a lot to another similar story in the book of Matthew. And these stories get compared a lot, and there's even some discussion of, was it the same story? Did Jesus tell this story one time, and kind of Matthew heard it one way, and Luke heard it a different way? Um, So there's been some discussion on that, but the reality is uh, most everyone believes that these are two different stories that Jesus tells. And it's interesting that two different times Jesus really talks about this idea of investing in entrepreneurship. See, in the story of Matthew, what we see is we see different servants and each one gets something different. Each one gets a different amount and they do something with that different amount. But in this story, what we see is different than that. We see every servant getting the exact same amount. And what they do with that is different. What they do with it, some of it gained times 10, some of it gained times five, and some of them do nothing with the mina. So in this story, what we see is everybody getting the same thing, everybody getting the same amount And what Jesus is talking about is he's letting us know that if we are servants of his, if we are followers of his, that we have all been given the same thing, the same amount of it. And that thing that we've all been given, if you're a follower of Jesus, is the gospel. The thing that we all have been given the same amount of is the good news of Jesus. We have all been given the gift of the gospel. You see, and and the beautiful thing about this is I don't have more of the gospel than you have, and you don't have more of the gospel than I have. And you can think of any amazing preacher or amazing man or woman of God, and they don't have any more of the gospel than what you have or what I have. We have all been given the same amount. We have all been given the gospel. And we are all expected to do something with it. Just like in the story with the servants, we're all expected to do investments with the gospel, to grow it, to make it grow in our lives and in the world around us. See, Luke is emphasizing in this story that there is an expectation of stewardship to happen. There is an expectation of investment to happen while the master is gone. 
You see, the master leaves and there's an expectation that business will continue, not just continue, but that it will actually grow. And this is the story that Jesus is telling to the people. Like they have, God has an expectation for their lives that they are going to expand the kingdom of God. So the question I want to ask you right now is this. How's your portfolio? How's your portfolio? Have you ever been asked that question? Have you been asked the question, hey, how are your, how are your investments doing? What, 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 are your, what are your stocks doing right now? Hey, times are a little crazy right now. How are you doing with your investments? You see, it's an interesting question that we, we get asked. And in the story, the servants are not told how to invest. There's just an expectation that they do invest. You see, and in that question, how is your portfolio doing? How, how are your stocks doing? How's your, how are your investment doing? I remember being asked that question when I was like 25 years old and I had no stocks and I had no investment or at least very little. And I, excuse me, I remember in 2008 when the stock market crashed and, and everyone's running around kind of freaking out over their investments. And I remember people asking me, hey, how are you doing? <clears throat> How's your retirement doing? How are your stocks doing? How much have you lost? And the truth was, I probably had like $300 invested at the time. And so my answer was, I don't know. I don't care. Like, I lost 300 bucks maybe. Like, I had nothing invested I, and so when the, when the stock market crashed, it didn't really affect me that much. I was making very little money and I had very little money invested. So I really didn't care because I wasn't investing. See, the truth of the matter is when you don't invest, you don't care. You see, since then, I, I have begun to invest my money. I've begun to put things into retirement and, and open up investments. And I started to care about things like mortgage rates for a home because I, I bought a home. And all of a sudden, I'm caring. Oh, man, what percentage are these things at? What percentage can I get these investments at? And, oh, things seem to be crashing. But, oh, this looks like a good stock to buy right now. And all of a sudden, I start to care about these things. And I listen to podcasts about these things. And I read books about these things because I have begun to put skin in the game, real money in the game with my investments. And now I care about them. And the truth is the same when it comes to the gospel. The truth is the same when it comes to the kingdom of God. When you don't invest, you don't care. So you might be sitting at home right now or sitting in your car or wherever you're at at work watching this going, man, investment with the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's probably an important thing, but it's not really super high on my priority list. Yeah, that might be important, but I don't know. I might get around to that one day. See, do you find yourself having a hard time truly caring about seeing the gospel grow? And if you do, it probably means that you're not investing into the kingdom of God. See, when you start investing into these things, what you realize is you start to really care about, you know, your neighbor who you've been talking to and praying for and, and, and trying to invest the kingdom of God into their life. When you start investing these things and you start doing things maybe with homeless ministry or, or, or giving to organizations that help, you know, uh, kids who are, who are homeless or, or kids who are in foster care, all of a sudden you start caring about, man, what's going on with the foster care system? How are we helping these kids? When you start to invest, you start to care. 
But when you don't invest in the kingdom, you just really find yourself not caring about it. I I know the stock market's important, and I know I should be investing in it, but when I'm not, I don't really care about it. And oftentimes, that's how we get, is I, I know it's important to invest in the kingdom of God, but when I find myself not doing it, I really don't care about it. And we have all the excuses in the world why we, why we can't. We, we can have all the excuses in the world why it's just not a good time for me to invest in the kingdom of God. You know, it's really busy right now. Man, COVID has really just made it impossible to, to invest in the kingdom of God. I can't go and hang out with people. I can't go and do these things. It's just really hard. I just really got to focus on my family right now. I, we're just really focused on us right now. I'm concerned about my job. Like we have all the excuses. But when you have the mind of an entrepreneur, when you have the mind of an investor, when you see yourself with the potential to grow something, whether it's money or whether it's the kingdom of God, you think about these things differently. You think about these things as opportunities, much like we have here at ACF Church going, hey, maybe it's time for a home church movement. We're going to invest into this. But we look at things I've heard, you know, in my own family, like, oh man, how do we invest in the kingdom of God? We got to homeschool our kids this year. Like, freak out, right? Like I know the majority of you watching this right now are becoming teachers for the first time and you're trying to figure out how to do it and how to make it work and it just is freaking you out right now. So it's like, how can I invest in the kingdom of God right now? I got I to gotta homeschool my kids. I don't got time for that. I, I have no time to think about investing into the kingdom of God. But an entrepreneur, someone who's thinking about investing in the kingdom of God looks at this as an opportunity, to go, oh my goodness, I got my kids at home with me now. We can do more. We can, we can study the word of God together. We can go once a week into downtown and work with the, with the homeless shelters or work at the soup kitchens. Or we can really look and be, be strategic and be, be clever about ways that we can, we can help people. We can go and every week go to a different neighbor and just do their yard work or whatever it is. But these are opportunities for entrepreneurship to invest in the kingdom of God. And we have to look at it this this way and start investing. And when you start investing, you will start caring about these things. See, there's an expectation for us to invest what we have been given. There is fully an expectation that goes with this. In John 20, 21, Jesus says this. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What he says is, hey, the Father sent me on a mission. He sent me to do something on this earth, to make investments, to build the kingdom of God, to expand it. And he says, now I'm sending you in the very same way. This is the expectation of the follower of Jesus. And I love it. In the book of Matthew, the very last words that were written to us, or I would say the very last words that are spoken to us from Jesus before he ascends into heaven are this. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. You see, Jesus says, go into all the world. Go into all the world and I will be with you to the end of the age. 
See, this command go, it's not a suggestion. It's not this great idea of, hey, you know what could be a really cool thing to do while I'm gone? Maybe you could go and talk about the kingdom of God. No, this, this command is to go. You see, there is an expectation for the servants to be investors into the kingdom. And as Jesus is teaching the people this through this parable, as he's teaching them this through this parable, he comes to this point in the story where, where the, the nobleman goes off and, and, the, and the servants are left to invest and then the nobleman comes back and he, he calls for an account of the investment. And one of the, one of the servants says, look, I gained you 10. Another one says, look, I gained you five. And then another servant says, look, here's your investment. Here is your mina. I wrapped it up in a cloth and I hid it. You can have it back. And, and Jesus then goes on to talk about a truth of reality. A truth rea- of reality that can actually be a little bit of a hard truth, and we don't really love this. And, and, and we like to maybe avoid this truth sometimes because we really like this idea of fairness in our lives. We want everything to be fair. I just got back from vacation and it, uh, it, with a family vacation with my wife's family and there are 14 cousins, right? There's five sisters, there's four brother-in-laws, there's mom and dad, and it, it, was, a, it was a packed house. And everything tried to revolve around fairness. And when when, when there were disagreements or hurt feelings that were, were felt, it was because things seemed unfair. But the truth of the matter is the kingdom of God is not about fairness. You see, it's not fair that I'm supposed to love the person that hates me, right? It's not fair that I'm supposed to serve people that, that don't treat me right. It's not fair that I'm supposed to turn the other cheek when I'm struck, See, God's kingdom is not a kingdom of fairness. It's not fair that I get to live my sinful life and do nothing to earn this grace but get given amazing, incredible grace. And so Jesus teaches this truth, and this is what he says after the, after the king comes back and he, he asks for an account of what, what, uh, what the servants did and how they, they gained minas and how they invested what he'd given them. This is what the king says to them. He says, to those who have more, to those who have more will be given. From those who have not, what they have will be taken away. You see the one servant who says, here's your mina. I did nothing with it. The king says, okay, take his mina and give it to the one who has 10. And everybody freaks out. They're like, no, 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 Jesus, that's not fair. How could the king say that? And again, he goes on to say, for those who have more will be given. And for those who have not, what they have will be taken away. And that seems like a pretty harsh reality. But the truth is we see this all the time in life. It's just the way that life is. And if you take, just take money out of the equation for a moment. And if you insert something else, like, let's say, I don't know, fitness and exercise. Let's just let's use that an example. If you are concerned about your health, and you start paying attention to what you eat, and you start eating more healthy, and you stop, you know, snacking on chips and cheese dip every single night, right? And you start exercising and going to the gym and just paying attention to how much you're, you're drinking, and maybe uh, you stop smoking and, and just all these things, and you start really taking your health seriously, what you have will grow. You're going to become more healthy and more healthy and more healthy as you continue on these ways. 
But if you were to decide to not care about your health and not have self-discipline in any way, and you're just going to eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, smoke whatever you want, you are going to not work out, you're going to be a couch potato and just not care about your health, not only are you going to stop becoming physically fit, but you're going to become more and more unhealthy. What you have will be taken away from you. And so Jesus is comparing that now to the kingdom of God. And so what does that mean for us? Well, I think it means this. If you're someone who has invested into the kingdom of God, if you're someone who has prayed for someone, if you're someone who has has been intentional with your investment, what you experience is wanting more and more of that. There's a joy that comes with that. We just talked about a couple weeks ago, we were going through the, the, the teachings of Jesus. We were going through the Beatitudes. And one of the Beatitudes are, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, there's this idea as you hunger for righteousness and you go after it, you're filled. You're satisfied with the kingdom of God, but that hunger grows deeper and you want more. And the more you want, the more you're filled and the more you're satisfied with it. And and there's this cycle that goes on that, man, I want more righteousness. I want more kingdom of God. And I receive more and I'm filled more. But then on the other side of it, you may have said yes to Jesus in your life and, and be a follower of his, but not invested into the kingdom of God. And you might be someone who's kind of held back like that one servant. And you said, I'm not going to invest. I'm just going to hold on to the gospel. I'm going to hold on to the good news and do nothing with it. It's mine to have, and I'm just going to hold it. <clears throat> but then what ends up happening is you, you, you begin to care less and less about the things of God. And all of a sudden, maybe you're swayed a little bit more by the, by the things of the world. And all of a sudden, maybe these things that, that are tempting me, they make more sense to me. And, and I find myself being drawn away from the kingdom of God. And it's not that I just don't advance, but it's actually that I'm retreating from it. And what I have is being taken away. See, that's just the reality of life. And Jesus uh, makes this conclusion to them that, look, if you're not going to invest what you have, you're going to lose. And the joy that maybe you have found in the kingdom, you lose. And, And the excitement for your faith and understanding who God is, you begin to lose that truth in your life. See, the king is looking for his servants to be faithful while he's away. The king is looking for his servants to be faithful while he's away. It's why Jesus tells the story. He says, look, the king went away, but then he comes back and there's an expectation of faithfulness to him. And so, church, we need to be faithful with what God has given us, the gospel, and to invest it into the lives and the world around us while the king is away because We need to rest assured the king is coming back. You see, these these servants, they they operated out of kind of different motives. The first two operate out of the motive of faithfulness. They're faithful to the king while he's away. But then the, the third servant operates out of this motive of fear. He's afraid. And and honestly, I think there's probably a few reasons why he's afraid. I've been afraid to invest in the kingdom of God before, for sure. There's this idea. I I personally, I have this idea sometimes of like, okay, God gave me ten minas. If I go and invest it, I'm afraid I'm going to walk away with four, not four more, but I'm going to lose out, and I'm going to only have four. Like I'm going to screw it up. 
But the beautiful thing is, it's not up to me to grow. It's not up to you to grow. God does that. It's up to us to invest. But I think the bigger fear is this. The bigger fear is what will people around me think? What will the people around me think? How will they treat me? You see, in the story that Jesus tells, when when the nobleman goes away, there's a whole bunch of people that don't want him to become king, and they're hostile towards him. And they do everything in their power to stop him from becoming king. And so think about it from the servant's perspective. I live and I work in this town that are hostile to my master. And if I go around doing business, gaining his wealth, gaining his kingdom, making it bigger, how are they going to think about me? How are they going to treat me? I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to hold on to this. That way, no one will be able to come after me. No one will be able to speak poorly about me. No one will be able to bash my reputation. I'll be safe because I won't really be working for the master. See, I think that's the greater fear that the servant felt, and I think that's the greater fear that we feel today. We understand that we live in a world that is hostile towards the gospel, and that when we start doing things for the gospel, when we start investing for the king, that hostility gets turned towards us. And Jesus said it was going to happen. Jesus, in fact, said that we're blessed when it happens because it means that we're at work for the Father. But are you someone who's operating out of faithfulness or are you someone who's operating out of fear and you have not invested because of fear? And the fear can look like so many different things, but it keeps you from investing into the kingdom of God. You see, at the end of this parable, it, it kind of ends on an unexpected note. I remember when we were filming that video that you saw with me reading it, at the end of it, we were done filming and, and uh, our film guy kind of looked from behind the camera and he's like, wow, that took a bit of a dark twist at the end. When destruction comes to those who are against the king, they're coming and they're slaughtered before the king. And it's, it's something, again, this is a sub point that Jesus is talking about in his story, but it's there and he, he says it. And so first of all, what I want us to understand is Jesus is actually specifically talking about the Jewish nation. He's about to go into Jerusalem and the leadership of the Jewish nation, the, the, the teachers and, and, and the lawmakers, that they come against Jesus and they try to stop him from becoming king. In fact, they say to, they say to Pilate, right, we only have one king and that king is Caesar, not this man. They, they make that claim, making sure to know that Jesus is not their king. And in a real sense, what ends up happening is, is in 70 AD, uh, Rome like destroys Jerusalem and, and a lot of people get killed. And what ends up surviving through that, actually, and ex- not just surviving, but exploding through that is the church and is Christianity. So a, a, lot of, a lot of the commentators believe that that's what Jesus was talking about. And it is true, that is what he was talking about. But that is, that is not only what he was talking about because there's a, there's a reality that Jesus teaches us here and there's a truth that he teaches us. But I, I love the way that uh, T.W. Manson talks about this. I love the quote that he says specifically about this parable. And this is what he says. He says that we may be horrified by the fierceness of the conclusion But beneath the grim imagery is an equally grim fact. The fact that the coming of Jesus to the world puts every man to the test. 
It compels every man to a decision, and that decision is no light matter. It is a matter of life and death. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that the king is returning to his kingdom. And Jesus makes it really clear throughout the gospels during his time here on earth. And what he makes really clear is this fact. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. We have been wanting and fighting for and trying to convince ourselves that there is middle ground, but there is no middle ground. And what he means by that is either you are part of the kingdom of God or you are not. You are either a son or a daughter of Christ, of God, and you have an inheritance waiting for you, or you are an enemy of God. Those are the two options. There is no middle ground. And the king is returning. And for those who do not want him to be king, he is going to grant them their wish. He's going to give them what they actually, what their hearts desire. And that is to not be ruled by the king. But the problem is when the king returns, when the kingdom of God comes into full, it will be the only kingdom remaining. There will be no other kingdom. And so, yes, There is a decision that must be made in your life today. Like I said earlier, everyone that had an encounter with Jesus was changed. Everyone that had an encounter with Jesus had a decision to make, to follow him or to not. And that same decision is before you today. Are you going to follow the king? Are you going to follow the Christ who, who sacrificed everything for you to establish this kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy, or are you not? You see, church, we live in a time of here and yet to come. The kingdom of God is here and it is yet to come, and we need to be investing into the kingdom of God. And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you not to let this time be an excuse for you, I want to challenge you to not allow uh, watching church online to be an excuse to pull away. I want to challenge you that during these lockdowns and this COVID-19 stuff to use it as an excuse to not invest, but to be an entrepreneur, to be an investor and look at this as an opportunity to grow the kingdom of God. Look at this as an opportunity to grow the thing that you have been given, which is the gospel. Grow it in your life. Grow it in your neighbor's lives, in your family's lives, in the workplace, in the community that you live in. This is an opportunity. Do not back away from it. Maybe because it's uncomfortable or maybe because I just don't like watching church online, but I You know, I can watch YouTube online for hours and hours and hours on end, or, you know, I can watch Netflix for hours and hours and hours on end, but for this some reason I can't watch church. Don't let that be your excuse, but use this time as an investment. And here's the truth. If we're going to be a church, if ACF is going to be a church, and if the church is going to be something that impacts this world in a great, significant, meaningful way, We have to become people that invest into the kingdom. It must be our mission to see the gospel spread in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Church, let's be investors into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what you have given us. Thank you that you entrusted us God, with this gift, this mina, this 
kingdom, this gospel that you entrusted us and that you expect something from us, God. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom on how to invest. God, I pray that you would put it in our heart to be people who are entrepreneurs for the kingdom of God, that we'd be looking for opportunities to grow your kingdom in the lives around us and the people that we deal with day in and day out, that we would love the people around us. And that would be the first step of our investments. God, that we could put aside our differences, our arguments, God, our, our, our lines that we draw on the sand that are not important and that we would pick up your kingdom and that we would love our neighbor as ourself. And that as we do that, we would see the kingdom expand in the world around us. God, make your name great amongst us. Make your kingdom great in our midst. Jesus, and as we submit to you, as we are faithful to you, I pray that, as you said, you would be with us to the end of the age. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.